Welcome to another episode of Boom or Bust, the draft show. I'm Max Chadwick alongside PJ Clark. Tate Sigworth couldn't make it, but we've got a guest that I think will more than make up for him. Austin Gale, who's the Associate Director of Content at Pro Football Focus and also the host of the Two for One Drafts podcast. Austin, thanks so much for coming on, man. Of course, guys. Thanks for having me. So we're going to debut our trivia game with you in just a bit, but we want to ask you some questions first. So really, how did you get started with PFF? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. So I, I, I graduated from San Diego State in May of 2017. And um, but w- when doing that, you know, PFF was, you know, had those job offers for part-time data collectors. And I was doing a ton of stuff in school. I worked at the school newspaper, radio station. I was a writing tutor. I worked at Victoria's Secret, which is just to pay the bills, <laughs> just to pay the bills and like pay like tuition and stuff at San Diego State. But uh, so I was like, you know, it's another opportunity. And I ended up working as a part-time data collector with PFF. And Man, that is a grind, especially on the West Coast, like waking up early to kind of get that stuff done. And after my first year, just collecting data for PFF, like doing a lot of the charting and those things, um, I applied to a bunch of opportunities, you know, trying to get a job in sports journalism. I was a liberal studies major with a minor in, uh, in journalism. And um, I applied to a, over 100 places, got a ton of no's, a shitload of no's. And there was a couple of places there was... Um, to cover Big Ten wrestling at the Lincoln Journal Star in Nebraska. Considered it. I was like, you know, I, I, I wanted to be in football. I knew that. But, you know, if this is my foot in the door, it's my foot in the door. And then also high school women's softball in Baltimore. That was a firm no. I was like, I'll go wrestling. <laughs> I'll go wrestling before I go, you know, out to Baltimore for that. And then there was like Pratt, Kansas wanted me to cover just all preps, all high school sports. I, I looked up, there wasn't even like a, a unique restaurant there. It was only chains. Like Pratt, Kansas only has like <laughs> chain restaurants. I can't do this. I'm a big food guy. Um, but then PFF kind of reached out late in the process and said, hey, you know, we have this kind of customer service focused position, like working on the subscription side um, that's opening up. Like, I know you want to be a writer. I know you want to do like more content and stuff. And I said, you know what? It's working in football. I'm going to take it. It was in Cincinnati and I thought Cincinnati was probably a little bit better than Lincoln. So I I ended up going there nine days after walking. I was fortunate enough to walk, not COVID, didn't do a digital graduation, but I, (laughs) nine days after walking at graduation at San Diego state, I arrived in Cincinnati, Ohio, and have been here for now uh, a little over three years. Wow. Um, So you've been there for three years now, PFF, uh, very divisive, I would say, especially on Twitter. Uh, we're big fans of all the analytics and advanced stats, but what is your sales pitch to people who, who don't believe in it? What do you tell people? Yeah, and, and honestly, when I first started at PFF, you know, there's a lot of reasons for it to be polarizing, for it to be divisive. You know, it's like, like people, you know, are automatically you're judging players. You're, you have this like subjective grading process. Subjective within a framework is how I like to put it. But it's regardless, it's a subjective process to grade and analyze players at the college, NFL, and we're even doing the high school level now as well. And anytime you're talking about how good or how bad somebody is, you're going to be divisive. It doesn't matter if you're doing it for every player on every play, or you're only doing these kind of like curated lists on ESPN or NFL Network, wherever it may be. And I think the sales pitch for me is the data do in large part of the work that George Tahuri and Eric Eager have done, Dr. Eric Eager have done over recent years, the data that we've collected has predictive power. You see running correlations on, you know, PFF passing grade, PFF pass rushing grade. It's predictive of future successes and future failures. And that in and of itself, regardless if you agree with the process, agree with the numbers, like TJ Watt's not the best edge defender in the NFL, like that's fine. Mm -hmm. But the data itself 
more than your lists, more than these other guys that are like watching a handful of plays in NFL Game Pass is more predictive than anything else that's really out there. And it's like, you know, you have people, you know, upset that it doesn't match up with passer rating or yards per carry. It's like if PFF did all this work, dumped thousands of hours into watching these games and collecting data just to find a statistic that was as predictive as fucking passer rating, what's the point? What's the point? I mean, like, the entire company was built by a fa- the founder, Neil Hornsby, who pretty much flat out said, you know, NFL or, you know, football statistics aren't enough. We don't know, you know red zone attempts weren't even super common there. What about you know, contested targets, drop rate, forced missed tackles? All these things were not like common as they are now. And his, you know, his goal was to collect enough data in football to come away with more descriptive and predictive statistics. And I think that's exactly what PFF has done. I saw a tweet from one of the PFF guys who's wearing the same exact hat that you had on. He's like, somebody in the grocery store told me that the, you nerds are ruining the game of football. I mean, that must be so annoying, man. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's tough. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of annoying, what do you think is the most annoying thing that you see in scouting reports constantly? I remember Kyler Murray, he won too much, quote unquote, um, overlooking production for combine studs, et cetera. What do you think is one of the most annoying things that you see all the time in scouting reports? Oh man, that is a that is a good one. I mean, fun to watch is something that Mike and I bring up on the podcast a lot, but you don't see that in scouting reports a ton. You see that more on Twitter. But fun to watch is just not a take. It's not you know, yeah. Everyone can be fun to watch uh, for what you're doing. I think another one's like looks the part. Looks the part is a common kind of phrase that like I think is you know the way of the dodo. You know, in terms of like actually describing like the talent of a player. I, I think other things. Hmm. I mean, pulling up, you know, tackle stats, like it's like something else that you'll see in reports that I can't get on board with like assists and solo tackles and stuff like that. Hmm. I, I do think, you know, scouting reports for a large part though, like if you do have a process, like if you do have a process to like subjectively evaluate, you know, players at the collegiate level and you repeat that process without bias, you could come away with a process that is predictive with a process that does have success when translating from college to the NFL. The different, the big thing there is, and, PFF is still learning this in a lot of ways as well, because when PFF first started grading the college level in 2014, they looked at it as, okay, here's the data. The guys who grade the best are guys that are going to grade better in the NFL. But like a lot more athletic testing comes into play, size, level of competition, because PFF's grades at face level are not adjusted for level of competition, largely because the system was built in the NFL, where there isn't, you know, huge drop-offs and level of competition. But you got Alabama playing Citadel in college you know like that's not even close you got future uber drivers going against first round picks and like that's just not going to pan out in terms of play-by-play grading that's not adjusted for opponents so there's a lot more that goes into watching college film and evaluating college prospects you have to look at you know athletic testing size and those things especially seeing again going back to the work that uh, you know dr eric eager has done he's working right now on college to pro projections and looking at what data points, what metrics, what things really translate from the college to the NFL level. And for edge rushers, wide receivers, it's speed, it's size, it's burst, it's explosiveness. And like that doesn't show up in PFF grades, but you need to evaluate for that for sure. So uh, going right off of that, it's a perfect segue. We, we wanted to ask, you guys preach that, that production matters and you, and you grade out all these players, but a guy like you had Curtis Weaver at number 26 last year on your big board, and he fell all the way to the fifth round, probably because mm-hmm. of some bad athletic testing. So how do, you, how do you try to balance that out when comparing he, such a great college production on a guy like that at a lesser conference versus his athletic testing at a combine? 
Yeah, that's always tough. And I think Mike and I even had a segment where we started to talk about players that PFF we know will be higher on than the NFL. I mean, Chris Curtis Weaver, I told him to his face. I'm not sure if you listened to that episode. You got, you know, everyone says you got a bad body type. You know, you got these like weird big hips that people aren't going to get on board with. He says, you know what? I got to lose weight. I'm a little bit of a fat boy. It's going to be tough. But like bad body type is a huge red flag in the NFL for NFL evaluators. Like you need to see that explosiveness and that body type that you think can translate to future years of success in the NFL. However, you also have to weigh into the fact that he was super productive at Mount, you know, in the mountain West going against my San Diego state Aztecs, a handful there, but Curtis Weaver, again, you saw him beat up on right tackles. He beat up on running backs, trying to protect them. And you just hadn't seen him go against top flight competition. I really wish he had an opportunity to go to the senior bowl to see him go against top flight competition. But with Curtis Weaver, I think you don't know how he's going to perform against better competition. The bad body type's not going to help. He's not an elite athlete. Those things matter. And as much as the production matters, playing in the Mountain West obviously gives you an edge. You have to evaluate the tape for technique, evaluate the tape for how can he have the same level of success against better competition. It's easier said than done. I mean, in addition to preaching production, PFF, Mike specifically, myself, preach sample size. Like you need to see it. You need to see a high volume of successful snaps against top competition to really feel confident in a player. It's a big reason why, and it's not a great sample size, but Ben Barks, the St. John's offensive tackle, like seeing him go against power five competition, dominating the Miami, Florida edge defenders that showed up there. It's like, okay, you can see this high end in his game going back and watching his St. John's tape, just beat people to a pulp. You understand why he went higher than maybe people thought before the senior bowl. So let's talk about this 2021 NFL draft. First of all, we got to hit what college football looks like right now. The Big Ten already announced that they're going to a conference-only schedule if they played. ACC and Pac-12 also reportedly following suit. What would the impact of a shortened season or a spring season or even, God forbid, no season have on next year's draft? I mean, it would be massive. I, I had someone ask me that recently and said, you know, does the NFL move the draft back? I said, no way. There's no chance the NFL adjusts their schedule for other people. Okay, they they, they went free agency on the same time. They went the NFL draft on the same time. Obviously, the preseason is looking a little bit in flux, but I think they start the regular season on time. And even if kids are playing during the first round, they're going to have that draft the same day as they would. I, I really do think that. However, how does it affect the actual players? Group of five is getting wrecked. Absolutely wrecked. These teams like, you know, from Bowling Green and all those teams that agreed to these big guaranteed game contracts to play a USC or, you know, a Michigan or whatever it may be in the non-conference schedule are getting boned out of that money. And those group of five players that you would see going against better competition, even though it would be small sample sizes, you'd still see it. You lose that on their film as well. Like It's going to be big for group of five players that are legitimate prospects to get to the senior bowl and put that on tape because just going against the Mac or the AAC or the, you know, the mountain West is not going to get it done when you're trying to evaluate these players against guys that are getting it done against future first, second round picks. So not, not a group of five guy, but uh, we wanted to talk about the, the quarterbacks in this 2021 class, the, the three big ones, not a group of five guy, but Trey Lance was going to play Oregon week one. That's probably not going to happen now. Um, is that something that you think is going to affect him not having that, that premier game against the top flight defense? Oh, no, for sure. I mean, it's definitely going to negatively affect to not have that game tape. I, th- I think, again, that would have been another way to see him throw the ball more. I mean, this guy averaged, I think, fewer than 19 dropbacks per game at North Dakota State because they run the ball so much. And, and for that reason, it's going to hurt his stock. But I think there was going to be enough. I mean, Mike and I have talked about this before. There are enough John Elways in the league to fall in love with Trey Lance's arm talent. That's that's bar none. This guy has 
a legit arm. It's the first thing you notice with Trey Lance. I don't care if he only throws three times a game next year. People are going to be talking about his arm talent. As Patrick Mahomes earns the first half a billion dollar sports contract in American, you know, American sports history, people are searching for that arm talent. They're searching for those guys that can make those off-platform throws. Jordan Love went in the first round this past year. Okay, like that's <laughs> that's where we're at right now. People are identifying arm talent and saying, oh, buddy, mm-hmm. I will do what it takes to get this guy. I don't care about the risks. I don't care about the inaccuracy. I'm willing to invest. I don't care about the sample size, level of competition. Trey Lance, I think, is a borderline lock for the first round, regardless if he plays nobody next year, because you know that arm talent is above all for a lot of these NFL evaluators and GMs. Mm-hmm. So go, going with that, you have Lance in the first round, it seems like, which I, I'm a big fan of. I am the high man on Trey Lance out of the three of us. I'm mm-hmm. very high. Um, but the three of us all have a different order of the top three of Lawrence Fields and Lance. So as, as of right now, where do you think those three shake out and, and how do you uh, – kind of predict where they might go this year i mean yeah right now i think it's lawrence fields lance and lawrence is in a shaky spot to be quarterback one and mike disagrees with me a bit on this but lawrence in a lot of times facing adversity in the few games he did you did see shakiness in his decision making and his accuracy i think mike said it best when he said no trevor lawrence thinks he can do anything he, and mm-hmm. rightfully so. Mm-hmm. The guy's freaking gorgeous. Hasn't lost. He's lost like one <laughs> game since like his high school career. Like, I mean, this guy should think he can do anything. Shoot your shot, kid. But you're not going to be able to do everything in the NFL. And I think you want to see him go through the process more. You want to see him make make the right throws more often rather than kind of shooting it down the field and, and being overconfident in his arm talent and his ability. With Fields, I think you'd like to see him, you know, you'd like to see him face better competition. I mean, in the Big Ten, I think this guy was throwing a lot of open throws last year. Very easy for him to push the ball downfield to wide open targets. The scheme at Ohio State was fantastic this past year. The receiving talent has been good at Ohio State for a while now. I I think for him, it's harder because he's in such a great system to grade well that you're looking at him almost trying to find reasons to not get on board because he has arm talent. He has that athletic ability. Fields and Lawrence are closer than maybe people think, closer than maybe Mike thinks, but I think Fields has that opportunity to take him over as quarterback one. And I don't know. I don't think, especially not playing a power five competition this year, I don't think Trey Lance will jump either of those guys to be quarterback one or quarterback two. I mean, I just don't know how you, you know, you go to your front office and say, Hey, we're going to invest in a guy that hasn't thrown more than 18, 20, you know, 20, uh, 20 passes in a game. Like that would be hard for me. And I think he had talk about a guy who hasn't seen top flight competition. Trey Lance goes to the senior bowl, lights it up. Mike and I have talked about this too, but like, Going to the senior bowl as a quarterback, you can only really do wrong. It's hard to really elevate your stock throwing on air and throwing in seven on sevens. Like you can do, you can be very inaccurate pushing the ball downfield, and that's a concern. But like, unless he goes against like very good defenses and you see him kind of throw the ball 25, 30 times a game, you can get an idea of what he could do. It's going to be hard to really consider that sample size and consider his talent better than Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, in my opinion. So you kind of already answered it, but we posted a graphic earlier showing how the preseason QB1 hasn't actually been the first quarterback taken since Andrew Luck in 2012, maybe even Jameis Winston in 2015, depending on your opinions back then. How likely do you think it is for Lawrence to break that streak, and do you think he rivals Andrew Luck as a prospect? Very, very likely, and I think he does rival Andrew Luck as a prospect. I mean, he has a lot of, you know, people, with what we didn't even bring up about Trevor Lawrence is this guy might run like a 4'6". Like, I mean, he's a very good athlete, too, and I think 
teams. It's a copycat league. It's all, I mean, it's an innovators league, and then it becomes a copycat league when you start to see successes early on. What Lamar Jackson has done with the Baltimore Ravens, I'd argue Josh Allen with the Buffalo Bills, even Daniel Jones got on his feet a bit this past year with the New York Giants. They want mobile quarterbacks. Patrick Mahomes, very good at extending the play. And seeing what Trevor Lawrence could do specifically late in the season last year with his legs was super impressive. And if you saw more of that on display, you see him you know, trust the process a bit more, fall into a bit of a cookie-cutter mold from a decision-making standpoint. Trevor Lawrence is going to lock it up because, I mean, it's going to be very similar to what the Joe Burrow pick was this year, like probably halfway through the season, where everyone's like, all right, yeah, he's it. Like, this is it. It's not really close. Trevor Lawrence is the guy, and you kind of lock it up. The only way is, again, if like early in the season you see him falter a bit, that's where I'd start to think about Justin Fields and, and Trey Lance maybe moving up a bit. But I, I just can't see it. I mean, this guy has been so good for so long and has all the tools and the mindset to kind of maintain that, you know, that uh, dominance. Mm-hmm. So three good quarterbacks, not to get too hyperbolic, but there are some other really good generational type guys. I kind of hate that phrase, but <laughs> Panay Sewell and Jamar Chase, two, the other two offensive guys, really, really good. How good do you think those two guys are and why should people watch them this year if we get college football? Yeah, I mean, I think another generational guy, if we're going to throw that term around, I think Michael Parsons might be up there too. I mean, right. he's he's one of those rare talents in this upcoming class. I don't know if I'm ready to tag Jamar Chase as generational, but I know he's super talented. And I think the reason you watch him is because you saw him burning people down the sideline with his speed. And that's the first thing, you know, Jamar Chase, very fast, vertical threat. But if you turn back on the tape and you specifically look at what he did against press, what he did against some very good corners this past year, dude's a bully. And you see Mm -hmm. guys with that speed and that physicality, you're talking about a wide receiver one that honestly I wouldn't say was in this past year's class. Like Jerry Judy, CeeDee Lamb, obviously Henry Ruggs, they they weren't this combination of bully physicality and this raw athleticism and speed they all had kind of their you know their trump cards so to speak i think jamar chase is a trump card by himself a very good receiver prospect one of the better ones in what is going to be another loaded class with rondell moore tutu atwell from louisville is a lot of fun to watch diami brown sage surratt i'm not as high on but still one of those names in this class and then penny sewell Generational talent is a way to describe him. I mean, you have you talk about dominator rating or breakout age is a big fantasy thing, but Penny Sewell doing what he's doing now, very young in the Pac-12 is honestly astonishing. Talking to Jeff Schwartz about him, everyone you talk to about Penny Sewell says they haven't seen anything like it. And I think mm-hmm. you watch the tape and you see that again. What he does as an athlete in space, and Oregon runs a lot of screens, moves their tackles out a bit, is stuff that you'd expect from a linebacker almost. I mean, this guy has great feet, great movement in space. And like when you have that footwork, that ability to move in space, like he does, that is where the NFL is going, getting tackles in space on the higher volume of screens and also having the feet to stick with speed rushers, edge rushers. Now in today's NFL, you want speed, you want explosiveness, you want bursts. It's, you know, no longer are you really prioritizing finding the next Cameron Jordan or, you know, um, trying to think of other guys, you know, step onto it. These guys that are like bigger three, four defensive end types. You're looking for guys that at the snap are blowing by offensive tackles, beating the former lumbering oafs that dominated the position in years past. Now, Penny Sewell, this guy's got feet to stick with any edge rusher in the NFL. So I'm a Penn State fan, admittedly. I go to Syracuse, but I'm a Penn State fan. And you mentioned Michael Parsons. And to me, he's like the Saquon Barkley for defense. When Saquon just did it all at Penn State, and you're like, holy crap, this guy's incredible. That's Michael Parsons on defense right now. So if you can go into him a little bit more. And then after Michael Parsons, I listened to some of your podcasts earlier on the defense. It seems like after Parsons, it's a pretty weak defensive class overall. Would you agree to that? 
Yeah, I think so. It's still early. I, I think it's still early, but I think when Micah Parsons is kind of an arm and a leg better, and then you know, there's a big drop off in this edge defender class mm-hmm. compared to the previous year, obviously with Chase Young, the defensive tackle class. Even even Marvin Wilson has some critiques. I mean, I, I'm high on Marvin Wilson compared to this previous defensive tackle class, but I would agree there's not a lot of depth. I think the position that feels deepest right now is corner. I mean, mm-hmm. you have a lot of big big corners in this upcoming class and talented dudes at that, and I think they are guys that this upcoming season a lot of people can get excited about Patrick Sertain Sean Wade um I'm forgetting some other guys here that's uh, that's unfortunate but there are a lot of top you know talented like Caleb Farley right too yeah Caleb Farley yeah he's the Mm -hmm. he's the you know PFS cornerback one right now but to get on to Michael Parsons I think when I talked to uh I was on Penn State radio hit recently and I talked about when you're looking at the off-ball linebacker position, one of the most coveted skill sets is being rangy, sideline to sideline speed, athleticism, to, to not be a liability in coverage. It's why Devin White and Devin Bush went in the first round a few years ago, because they're just these freakish athletes. Micah Parsons is that, but he's a better football player than both those guys. Way better football player, more instinctual, understands the game. You see the football IQ against the run. You see it in coverage. He didn't turn his back. And that's something that Mike and I have brought up before, but like turning your back to the line of scrimmage at linebacker is something you need to be good at in the NFL. If you're going to be getting to your zone spots or playing man coverage, you didn't see that it's on at Penn state. That was an area where I felt like you'd want to see a more sample size, but like there's not a single play on his tape that would tell you he's not a smart football player. He's not instinctive, doesn't understand the game. And he's not a special athlete. When you have those two things and you're this ideal size for the position, it's just checking too many boxes at a point where, like, this guy's an arm and a leg better than this, the rest of the linebackers in this class. So, Max just said it. We are both, and Tate, too, we're all rising seniors at noted football powerhouse Syracuse University. Um, so, for once, Syracuse actually has a real NFL draft prospect. So, do you have any thoughts on Andre Sisco, who is just by virtue our guy this year? I mean, the, the biggest thought, and we, you know, on the Two Point Drafts podcast, we're, we're going over safeties this upcoming week. We've got Tyron Matthew coming on the pod, talking a little Cisco as well. And Cisco, dude, the biggest thing is Mike loves the guy. He texted me like 12 a.m. the other day saying, have you watched Andre Cisco? Have you watched Andre Cisco? This guy's got it. He got you know, played out of position this past year. And that's something that Mike does a really good job of understanding scheme and alignment and how that can affect success. And you see that with Cisco in 2018, had a lot more success than you maybe saw mm-hmm. in 2019. But Something that Mike loves at defensive back is playing the ball without looking at the quarterback while playing his own concepts. And that speaks to confidence, confidence in your film study, confidence in your understanding of the game and instincts and just knowing what, you know, you know, pow- pattern recognition at safety is super important. And when you see that safety and he has these athletic tools to kind of act on that, he's, he's made some Darnell Savage comps. And I know he was a big savage guy coming out of Maryland. Both of us were, Cisco's a legit. I mean, Cisco's very much legit. He has an opportunity to be one of the better safeties in this class. I love Javon Holland, the guy out of Oregon. But after that, like, Hamza Nasruddin, I'm not in love with. I think Trayvon Morig is a smaller safety prospect that at TCU had a ton of ball production. But I'd like to see him repeat it. With Cisco, he's a guy that hadn't graded super well in 2019. But you you do see it on tape. These splash plays that you see at the safety position are are, are rare for Cisco. I'm really a big fan. Yeah, and I, I know you guys mentioned that he's kind of like a boomer bust player too. So kind of like it's perfect boomer bust. The draft shows from Syracuse, Andre Cisco, boomer plus boomer bust player, getting picks and also allowing a ton of touchdowns too. So besides those guys, who are some of the other prospects that we should be talking about besides Dustin Crum? Oh man, D. Crum, my guy <laughs> of Penn State. Uh, I'm trying to think of some guys I really like. I, I, I really do like the, going after the cornerback class. Asante Samuel Jr. 
is a dude. I mean, this guy's mm-hmm. an aggressive tackler, very physical on the smaller side, but, and small cornerbacks struggle to make it in the NFL, but small cornerbacks also start if you can find, you know, find a way to play them in the slot. And when you're, when you're playing small, small cornerbacks in the slot, the biggest thing you need to look for is are they aggressive enough and physical enough to tackle slot cornerbacks tackle a ton. They have to be as good as linebackers as tacklers in today's NFL with how much, you know, good rushing teams are attacking the edges, the Baltimore Ravens, San Francisco 49ers list goes on. And he's exactly that. I think Asante Samuel Jr. Maybe can stick it outside. That would be impressive to see this upcoming season. But if you do have to move him into the slot, cause he can't handle the big bodies outside the numbers, I think he could be a very successful corner. And I feel the same exact way about another primary outside corner who played at Oregon this past year in um, not Javon Holland. The other, uh, I'm losing his name, the Oregon freaking corner. Damn it. I, I don't remember his name, <laughs> but he's the other guy there that, is, that, um, that has played super well for Oregon this past year. He's on the smaller side as well, but you see this physicality in his game while playing outside corner this past year. I think he best transitions into the slot this upcoming year. Mm. Other prospects I like, I like Marvin Wilson. Christian Barmore, the Alabama defensive mm-hmm. tackle, is going to blow up this year. You might as well just count on it. Write the check now. Christian Barmore is going to be a household name in the SEC when the SEC ends up being the only only conference that powers through the COVID pandemic. <laughs> it just means more. It just means more. Oh, man. Um, I'm trying to think of others, maybe on the offensive side of the ball. I like this receiver class. Rondell Moore is a very intriguing receiver prospect. He's Linebackers, to too. Yeah, fun to watch. Yeah. I would say, say Rondell Moore. Rondell Moore is officially fun to watch, though. I yeah. wouldn't say that is an actual player. Like, you turn on the tape. I mean, you turn on the Ohio State game. These games, like, true freshmen. Like, what is going on? Like, you're smiling ear to ear the entire time you're watching this tape. I definitely agree he's fun to watch. Linebackers, though, there's some guys that, like, aren't good right now but could be good down the road and have these, like, this skill set. The USC kid, who I think was a four- or five-star recruit, um, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. The dude's got a monster last name. But look up, look him up. He's a, he's a good kid. And then also Chaz Surratt, the, the, right. the Sage Surratt's brother, who converted from quarterback to linebacker, doesn't even know what he's doing in, on defense yet. But, like, he's, he's an athlete. And, like, again, going back to the Devin Bush and Devin White conversation, Devin White was bad. Like, he was bad against the run at LSU. I, I'll flat out say that. He earned a high coverage grade at PFF, had good ball, produ- ball production, in coverage, but he was not good against the run. And Chaz Surratt isn't either. But you see that athleticism, and you know tight ends are getting smaller. Slot receivers start now. Like you, like running backs have to catch the football. You need linebackers that are athletic. You need linebackers that can move sideline to sideline. And Chaz Surratt has that, putting him in this like floor projection, I want to say, in day two. Interesting. Um, so before last uh, – 2020's draft, not even last year. Uh, we did a combine, the three of us, and Max's scores were not ideal. I think he wants to bring those up a little bit. So we were just curious, what would you set the over-under? If you had to run a 40 right now, where do you think you clock it in? Jeez. Oh, man, that's tough. I think probably like 5'5". Five, five. I mean, fuck. I don't know if I'll pass <laughs> five. I don't. I will not let myself go on go over six i refuse i will i will run it over and oh, over i did so i fun fun run under six i i feel like that would be that's that would fair be, i would say that okay okay we're about to long we did a long throw too and i think i i, I had an nfl football that was slightly deflated so it was hard to throw um, and it was like 20 yards. What would you say your long throw would be? 20 yards? Dude, it was awful. Okay, it was, it was not good. It was awful. The <laughs> it deflated was not football. Good. I don't get why people are mad at Tom Brady, man. Throwing a deflated football is really hard. All right? It was not good. It was a dunk. Hot take. Hot take. I'll, I'll probably say I'd probably push it at least 30, 40 yards. I'd say 40 yards. Probably get 40 yards. Anything that's over 40, though, is tough. I mean, anything. Fun. 
you get in the 60s, you know, that, I mean, that's freaking difficult. Like, th- trying to throw the ball fucking 60 yards downfield is tough. You got to Marcus Russell out here. Yeah. We had a uh, we had a guy on Twitter yesterday. It was like, he commented on our video because we're talking, one of our co-hosts doesn't like Trey Lance that much. And this guy's a North Dakota State fan. And he was like, uh, no. oh, man, gotta love these North Dakota State Twitter. Football, who can't grip a football, talk about draft guys. I'm like, dude, that's, that's every draft analyst. Like, none of yeah. us actually play. Like, North Dakota <laughs> State Twitter, you do not want to piss them off. Is what we have I, don't think, I don't think I've dabbled. I don't think I've, I've been oh, in the. All they do is yeah. search Trey Lance and reply to everything. There's a lot of Trey Lance name searching. Um, okay. All right. So another, another question I want to ask you. So I know of the streak we talked about earlier where the preseason QB one wasn't actually the first quarterback taken. I'm irrationally confident in Trevor Lawrence. So we're going to play a game with our subscribers and followers that if Trevor Lawrence is not the first quarterback taken, I will drink a smoothie with ingredients of the followers choosing no matter how disgusting they are. So Austin, would you like to make the first contribution to that smoothie? Man, I will. I don't want to be too brutal to you. I'll keep it as food. I'd say you have, yeah, to, have to be edible. Have to be edible. Yeah, it has to be edible. I think that's super fair. That's a fair call out. I'm trying to think of something that's really pungent here. You guys, have something that's going to just knock you on your feet. Can it be alcohol? Is that too? It far? could be. Yeah, yes, it could yeah, be. Yeah, I'm go for it. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go absinthe. I'm gonna say absinthe. absinthe. I like yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I love it. All right. Now it's time for draft trivia. The Here moment you've all been waiting for. We have five questions. If you get three of the five right, we'll rename our Twitter account to Boom or Bust the Austin Gale Stan account for a week and also send you some send you some merch when we drop it. You ready to go? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so number one, what NFL team is tied for having the most number one overall picks with seven? It's multiple choice. A, the Bengals. B, the Browns. C, the Lions, or D, the Colts? I'm going to go C, the Lions. It's actually the Colts, which I was surprised by, too. I was really surprised by that. All right, here we go. Question two. Uh, This active team, still in the league, has not picked first since 1947, the longest streak without the first pick in the NFL. The Patriots, the Bears, the Steelers, or the Packers? The Bears. Yes. The Bears is correct. Oh, okay. That's one. So you got one right now. Here's another one. Quarterbacks lead the way with the no- most number one picks with 33. What position has the second most with 23? Is it running back, offensive tackle, edge defender, or wide receiver? That's tough. Hmm, I want to say pocket. I'm going to go out of the, on a limb. I'm going to say offensive tackle. It's actually running back, which I know you guys is not good. Running back, not good. <laughs> you guys will hate that. I knew right when I saw it, I was like, oh, I got to put this in for a PFF guy. Good one. Good one. <laughs> All right. Number four, it's not multiple choice, but going off of the 2020 PFF draft guide, this quarterback, NFL comp was Chase Daniel. Do you remember who it is? Oh, man. I do. I feel like I do. Okay. Let me think here. Got to think of the quarterbacks. Um, Guys that were drafted this past year, dude. Now, now I look like an idiot. I fucking practically <laughs> put that damn guide together. Um, I feel like I remember it being a brutal comp, and like everyone, uh, some people were higher on him. I think it's a very good comp. You had, for you had a pretty high ranking for it. He was like, I think he's like a day two guy. You had a ranking on him. For what it's worth, I think it's a good comp. Yeah, let's go. It's. 
I'm gonna go Jake Fromm, even though yes. I think that's fucking it. Oh, it is nice. Yes. Nice, nice, nice. Jake Fromm. Yeah, they uh, our co-hosts PJ and, and Tate will just say Jake Fraud because yeah, they didn't love not, Jake Fromm. Not a Jake Fromm. Brutal. It was brutal. Um, uh, all right. Seth Galina, one of our analysts, is a big fan of Jake Fromm. I like him too. I think he's gonna be fine in the NFL. Um, okay, this is the last one, and this oh, is basically uh, this is basically a know your boo type question. So your co-host. Your co-host on the Two for One Drafts podcast, Mike Renner, was a contestant on the 14th season of The Bachelorette. What was the name of that season's Bachelorette? It's a multiple choice. Hannah, Rachel, Becca, or JoJo? It's Becca. It's Becca. Oh, wait. All right. There we go. That's the amount of times times that Mike Renner leaned on him being on the bachelorette in the Cincinnati bars. It's just absolutely unfortunate. I mean, if you have that card, you have to play it, though, right? (laughs) There were times we'd go out, and I'm like, yeah, I'm his agent. It was was bad, dude. It was bad. (laughs) That that summer summer was an interesting one. It was a good time. (laughs) Oh, okay. So you're you're a really good friend then. I didn't know if you're going to get that one. All right, so Becca is the answer. You got three or five right. So when nice. this video comes out, we will officially rename our account to Boomer Bus, the Austin Gale Stan account for a week. Congratulations. Big too. honor. So Big Austin, honor. you're the first guy, but we're planning on doing more draft trivia with more draft analysts. So, so since you're our first guest, you have the highest score. Is there anyone you want to call out to beat your record score? I got to call out Mike. Gotta, you got to bring on Mike here. I think Mike Renner could probably beat me out. I don't think he knows me that well, though. So, I mean, that okay. question could we'll, we'll, question we'll have to get a question for you. Nice. Okay. Perfect. Well, I don't know. It'll be tough. We'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, we'll figure out a question. All right. So that'll do it for another episode of the Boom or Bust Draft Show. Make sure to follow Austin on Twitter at PFF underscore Austin Gale. Also, check out his show, Two for One Drafts Podcast. I'm Max Chavik alongside PJ Clark. Have a great night.